Don't ever let people think you get the one freelance job and you're good. No, I got that one freelance job. I didn't have anything for another year. I was setting meetings with people at like Coach Network because that's what I was comfortable with because I just got done working there. And I was having meetings and they were like, yeah, just nobody wants to take you. You're unseasoned, which means you're too green and you're too new and you don't have enough credits and nobody wants someone with no credits. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Dozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Shakira Presley. She is a black writer working as a story editor at Netflix Animation. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Yeah, I, like you said, am a story editor. I uh, just got done working on a project called Tomb Raider that's based off the video game. I previously worked on shows like Ben 10, Craig of the Creek, and uh, newer shows that aren't out yet like Battle Kitty and My Dad the Bounty Hunter. Uh, My Dad the Bounty Hunter, I'm so excited for that one to come out. Yeah, it looks so good. Yeah, everything about it looks so cool. I keep saying it's like going to feel like a 10 hour long Pixar movie like Maya did, and everyone is not ready for it. Oh, (laughs) hell yeah. Yeah. Yes. So the way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and you have to choose in between the two of them, and then let us know why. Cool. Sounds fun. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll start us off with the first question. Would you rather live in the Watchtower from Justice League, the animated series, or in the Titans Tower from Teen Titans? Oh, that's not even a question. The Titan Tower. All, all, every day, all day. The Titan Tower. Like, the other one feels cold and empty and just desolate. And then the Titans Tower, you know, they got the giant screen TV and yeah, yeah, Titan Towers for life. It's definitely more lively, the Titans Tower. Like, it is. You got a view of the city and the ocean. It's great. But you get view of you get the view of the whole world and space and all of the oceans in the watchtower. But what if I want like a burger? I can't like just you know. Oh, let me grab the spaceship and fly on down back to Earth and get a burger. Like, I, yeah. I, I think they have like I think um in the animated series they had like an entire like ca- like I think they have like a cafeteria. Of, like, yeah, cafeteria staff and stuff. No, I just I can't do that. You know, I need I need the weirdness <laughs> of sitting in a line at an In and Out or something waiting <laughs> for a burger that's not that great tasting you think you think you'd be able to door dash anything to like to the titan tower you think they'd be able to do that if if they haven't upgraded cars at this point to be able to get to space then i i definitely want to be at the titan tower more i mean all they need is a boat from titan <laughs> tower they don't need a spaceship yeah, I think they have to ferry over. They're like a little island. <laughs> There's probably a ferry that's specifically for like Beast Boy to get deliveries of like pizza and stuff. So, no, that's totally fair. Um, yeah, Titan's Tower definitely has a more chill vibe. It definitely feels really professional if you're at the Watchtower. Yeah, it's like yeah. more like a dorm versus a, a office workplace. Yeah, the, the Titan's yeah. Tower is where you go when you're young and you just want to have fun. And then you, you you move on and you upgrade to space when it's like, you just want to settle down. You don't want to be in society anymore. <laughs> You're retired. You're yeah. retired into your older <laughs> superhero yeah. job. Yeah, you're just like, I want to be like 
a very dry, serious superhero, you know? I don't want to make mistakes and be goofy anymore. It's just a different vibe. All right, next question. Which twisted world would you rather live in? The mystery planet from Invader Zim or the middle of nowhere from Courage the Cowardly Dog? <gasps> I'm going to go with Invader Zim on this one. Because <gasps> I'm, a, I'm a coward. And Invader Zim is, the world is so goofy that I think I can make it out alive. But <laughs> Courage the Cowardly Dog, I, I'm one of those people that doesn't do well with horror. So like something scary would happen and uh... I'd freeze and I'd just, I'd be gone. Courage has to be active every episode. I can't do it. I'm a scaredy cat. I'm, I'm still <laughs> afraid of the dark. On they, it. Yeah, they turn off the lights. It's game over. I'm done. I'm just, I can't do it. So I, I'm choosing Invader Zim because I'm a coward. <laughs> That's interesting. I never thought of it that way. I guess, yeah, you're right. Courage is more like horror, whereas Invader Zim is like, it's more like sci-fi, but kind of like with aesthetic. Yeah. Like goth aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would classify Invader Zim more sci-fi than I would horror. That makes sense. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I can get through them. You know, they're not not that scary. They're not that intimidating. Yeah, it's been a while since I've watched both shows, but I feel like Invader Zim's problems are stuff he caused. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, but he, again, ends up resolving it. I feel like with Courage, just, shit just keeps happening to him. <laughs> Like he doesn't ask for it, he doesn't look for it, it just comes to him. I feel yeah. like Dude just wants to sit down on the floor and watch TV with his old lady and the world will not chill. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I feel like I feel like with Invader Zim, if I don't want to be involved in an issue that day, I'll just like I'll hang out with you a different day, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's just like courage, he's just hanging there. He can't he can't he can't travel, he can't stay at home. Even like you know, Muriel, her cousin is like a serial killer razor man. Like I, like, <laughs> he's not safe anywhere he goes with anybody. He's just screwed. Can't go to the library. He's doomed. Yeah, that's true. No, yeah, that's totally, so totally. <laughs> <laughs> you would still do that, Yuki. You you rather be with courage? Yeah, uh, I mean, I other than the the fear of death. It's a lot of interesting uh, stories, you could say. Courage <laughs> 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 just shaking her head. <laughs> I feel like no one ever believes Courage. Even Mary, she's, she's oblivious. Yeah. There's like no one on his side. I don't think I can remember an episode where someone was genuinely on his side. Even the episode with Kitty, mm. she beat the crap out of him in the beginning because she hated all dogs. So I'm like, he can't win. There's no win for him. It's true. Poor yeah, dog. Very true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he's genuinely a stupid dog. He didn't run. He's not out of there. It's his fault now. Actually, yeah. yeah. After the, the first few episodes, I would have been gone. It's like my inner blackness was like, nope. Well, you know, mean hard. Goodbye. I didn't have to open that door. I'm not going to investigate. He did it to himself. He's the girl in the movie that trips over the stick in the woods while the killer's behind them. It, it's his fault at this point. He should have left. Yeah. <laughs> Well, on that lovely note, <laughs> thanks so much for playing in between with us, Shakira. Hopefully you had some fun there with, with these questions. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> and if you enjoyed today's in-between questions, let us know your responses. Or if you have any suggestions for future in-between questions, contact us on social media. So let's just jump into this. I'm really excited to like have you on the podcast and get to hear more about your story. So 
for those that may not be too familiar, can you tell us what is the role of a story editor? Yeah. So a story editor essentially is just the person in the writer's room who goes, hey, this is what the showrunner, the creator of the show wants to do. And this is how we're going to achieve that goal. So from the beginning, if we're working on a show that's called episodic, which means every episode is a bottle episode and nothing changes between episodes, like there's no overarching Mm storyline, then it's kind of like the story editor is like, okay, we're going to come up with X many episodes, guys. And then once you come up with a bunch of fun, great, exciting new episodes together with your writing crew, you then kind of decide who is best for what episode. Be like, okay, so you're really good at comedy. We're going to give you the comedy episode. Mm. Or like, this person's really good at drama, so we'll give you the drama episode. And then when your writers and also you have written that episode, you come back together and you make sure that that story is cohesive and tight as possible. Um, when you're working on a show that's more serialized, it switches a little bit. You do the same thing where you come up with ideas, but you're wondering a lot more in terms of serialization, meaning everything has an overarching plot. Every character has an art within each episode, but also over the course of the entire story. And any Easter eggs or hints or setup or payoffs that need to be made throughout the entire story, you make sure it's there. And you make sure, again, the story is as tight and clean as possible. Every character has finished their arc and the themes of the story have clearly made its way in. And after every writer gives you back their episode, you're like, okay, what did we miss? What's not there? We really wanted to touch on grief in this episode. And I don't feel like we've landed it yet. How can we make that stronger? Mm -hmm. And they'll go back and kind of give notes on that to the writer. And how we can show more scenes or even character expression or just dialogue to show that this character is mourning the loss of somebody or something. Mm. Um, And like, how do we properly portray that? And then also tightening up any dialogue that like, maybe you get some freelance writers or some of the writers haven't spot, haven't been spot on with some of the dialogue for specific characters. It's like your job to basically give notes to make that happen. Mm. Or when everything's said and done, you can go back and, sit down and be like, okay, how can I punch this up to make this character sound exactly like how we want them to? Like, if this is the comedic character, all of their jokes, except for very serious moments, we we should try to get as many jokes and gags in there with this character. Like, if they're the butt of all jokes, we want to find as many places to have the other characters make fun of them. Mm -hmm. So it's basically doing stuff like that and pretty much making sure that the story is good to be able to go into what we call lock, which means that we do not touch it anymore. And that's after we've gotten notes from the executives and the showrunner and changed things a million times. And then when it's locked and it's solid and we don't change anything, it goes on to the board artist. You usually go to a meeting. It's called a handout. And you sit down with the showrunner and, if you're lucky, some of the design people and the board artists, and you hand them the script or the outline And you're like, okay, so this is the new episode. This is what we're looking for. These are all the references that we made. If you want a list of all the references to other media that we've made or memes, we can provide you with that. And then if you're lucky and on a good, neat show, you will sit down together and basically say, we're going to read through this script or we're going to read through this outline together and tell me if anything bumps you. 
anything that does not fit, anything that might be too hard for the board artist to draw or too heavy for the design team. Mm-hmm. And from that point, if they say, hey, you don't want to do three crowd shots in one episode, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, that was our bad. We shouldn't have done that. And then you go back and you could rewrite that script for them and kind of find unique ways to still have the same idea of happening, the same sequence happening, but mm-hmm. cut it down to one crowd scene for the really important scene and not three in one and find out unique ways to get around that. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's basically, you're also like a problem fixer while making sure that the story is as cohesive and understanding clear as possible. And so you've also like written on a variety of things, like as a staff writer, as a freelance writer, and you were even head of story for like an unannounced project. What's the difference between these different story positions? And do you prefer one over the other? I do like the position of being a story editor. I want to do it more because I feel like it prepares me for being a showrunner, having to delegate and... Mm -hmm kind of convey what the showrunner wants mm-hmm. and having to then talk to board artists and other design people about it, I think really helps and prepares me to be a leader in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's why I really like that position. I feel like it's preparation. It makes me grow in a way mm. because before I had the position, I was really nervous my first time. It was for a short instance the first time. And basically it was like, okay, we get into the room, all the writers are there, the show owners there, and they're like, okay, Shakira, what do you want us to do for the day? What are we starting with? And I was just like, What? <laughs> what? I've never I've never been I never done this. And they're just like, Yeah, what do you when you write a story, like what do you start with? What are we doing for the day? And I had to sit there for the whole entire writing room and be like, Okay, well, I think we need to write synopsis of all of the characters and what their arc is gonna be from beginning to end. And then we plot out our episodes and then figure out what the entirety of the story is and then make sure that within each episode, the character's arc is growing this way. Mm-hmm. And that was the most nerve wracking thing, but I feel like I grew from it. And then basically like knowing when to move on. Cause like sometimes when you're coming up with ideas, you're just sitting there and everyone's bouncing out ideas, trying to resolve a problem. And you're like, Hey, hey, hey mm-hmm. let's come back. Let's table this. We need to talk about other things. And if we can't figure it out once we've talked about this other thing, then we'll come back to it eventually and we'll solve the problem eventually. But we need to move on from now. Mm -hmm. So like having to basically break up a bunch of creatives who are spitballing ideas and trying to solve something and be like, hey, I know you want to solve this problem, but let's not talk about it. Let's move on and discuss this other thing that might fix this in the future. Mm. It's weird, especially when people are older than you. You're just like, oh, my God, how can I command people who are older than me? Right. And more experienced than me. And it's like very nerve wracking, but it made me feel mm-hmm. a lot more comfortable in my own skin as well. But um, when it comes to staff writing, it's fun, but you're mostly just kind of waiting for your showrunner and your story editor to kind of give you direction a lot of the time. Mm. So you're sitting there and you're just like, cool, I'm just going to write my episode. I sit in the writing meetings and then that's it. Like, there's not a lot of responsibility beyond that, mm. beyond sitting in the writing room, coming up with ideas breaking up to go write your own episode and then coming back and presenting that said episode. Mm. And sometimes, especially in lockdown, it's not really like reading it together. It's just, I sent you the email with the script, tell me when you've read it and you just sit around for a while waiting to get notes back from people. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. So you're just sitting there looking at your watch, just like, 
okay, so it's going to take at least like a couple of days before they give me notes back. What do I do until then? Well, if I was in the studio, you're around people. So we would keep talking about episodes and keep talking about things that we could add because we were right next to each other. So now it's more just like send it out, wait, put on my fingers a little bit. But like story editing too, is just like, I like the ability to sit in on art meetings and it fills my day, like learning about the other departments and Mm -hmm. also like going to the records is really fun. Mm -hmm. Not every show allows you to go to a record. If you're just a staff writer, they will let you more. If you are a story editor, a lot more shows are beginning to be more open about letting staff writers come to records for the actors. But Most of the time it's like, oh, if you're not story editor position, we don't know if we can fit you in. It might be too many people. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so you're just like, dang it, I wanted to see that actor that I like do their job. Or, you know, I wanted to be introduced Mm -hmm. to them. That's so cool. Because there was times where I was on a show and I was just like, dang it, I really wanted to go to that record. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, sorry, just the story editor and the showrunners and the director. And I was like, crap. So stuff like that, you get like nice little perks from being story editor. Also more pay. No one can ever say no to that. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, those are, those are like freelance. I'm not that big on freelance. It's fine if you're just like, oh, I need a quick paycheck for something that I'm saving up for. Um, Mm -hmm. Or like if you need it because you haven't been able to get any staff work or story editing work. But the thing about freelance that no one ever told me mm-hmm. was that you don't get paid for freelance when you start. Mm. So you do the freelance and instead of making a salary, you get, you know, that one time payment based on you writing that episode. And it's not like, okay, well, I wrote the first draft and I turned it in. So I get paid. Sometimes it's more like you're scheduled to work on this draft for the next month or two. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the executive notes take forever or sometimes the showrunner gets busy and can't read it yet. And you have to wait until they're ready and they've given notes and you have to go through a script draft. You have to go through the writer's room draft where that's when you turn it into your showrunner, they read it. And then you have to go to a executive network draft, which is like all mm-hmm. the higher up people reading it and giving notes. And you have to correct it for weeks at a time. And only then do you get paid. Wow. So if you're like looking for money ASAP as a writer, you don't get paid right away. Like there's some projects that I've written on months ago and I'm still waiting to get paid on them. Oh man. Yeah. It's kind of like a don't hold your breath, especially because like one company messed up my pay once. And then so it took twice as long. Like I forgot that I was just even supposed to get paid from them mm-hmm. until it happened. And then I was just like, what is this check for? Oh, <laughs> wait, it's been so long since I wrote that episode. Jesus Christ, they're just paying me. And like with a manager and a lawyer, it goes slightly faster now. But mm-hmm. even then, it's still just like waiting, looking at your watch. When they confirm that you're done with that episode, you get paid. So like if it's a, a scripted show, I get paid for the premise, the outline, and then the script itself and every draft of the script. But most contracts, you don't really realize most contracts will be like, oh, you have to fix the script like, I don't know, two to three times. Mm-hmm. And that's still within this payment. So it's not like every time I write a new draft, even if I have to write the second draft from scratch, like they change their minds and I have mm-hmm. to write it from oh. scratch again. It's already in my contract that I do that two to three drafts afterwards. So I can't get paid more for that. So I'm doing more work and not getting as much money. Mm-hmm. It's the same with pitches it's like 
you don't always get paid for pitches. So sometimes if a studio brings you a pitch, mm-hmm. you can pitch your take on it. And then you just have to wait and be like, mm, I got paid for the pitch, but we don't know when that money is going to come in. So you're just sitting there. Mm. I like pitching, so I don't mind it for pitching because pitching is a potential opportunity for a show. But for freelance writing, it's nerve wracking if you're like a starving writer and you're just like, I need money now. Oh yeah. God, I got to wait for this. And you just, you're just hoping that they're going to drop a check soon. Mm. Because you've wrote like on so many different things and majority of them are probably like still NDA and maybe that way for like a couple years after you write it. What is it like working as a writer when you're at the very beginning of the pipeline? Honestly, I know other people who said probably said this too. I forget. (laughs) (laughs) One show that I worked on three years ago and I didn't remember the show until I saw a poster for it and I was like, oh shit that show's coming out? How long has it been since I worked on that show? And I'll like look back in my emails to see when I started on it. And I'm like, wow, that show was three years ago. Or like, oh my God. when I first started at Netflix, my first show was Battle Kitty. And I'm like, I've done five or six shows since that. And oh, wow. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot. And then I also help out with development sometimes at certain studios. I'm touching a lot of different projects that I will never see come either some that have that will never come out like i know for a fact though they're never coming out because they got canceled but uh, some that i've helped out with that i'm like wow if this show makes it through development i won't see it for another two to three years like tomb raider mm. like i'm like that mm. show's exciting i'm i'm so happy but we're finishing up and uh, i really would love if this show came out i see like casting information dropping and i'm like oh i would love to work mm-hmm. on this show right now and like see it on tv right now and then it's just like you see like date and you're just like when's it coming out and you know none of the announcements say so we don't know either so we're just like when is it coming out (laughs) (laughs) i've forgotten episodes that i've done like i worked on craig of the creek Mm -hmm. and filling in my imdb the other day and it's been probably two or so years since i left that show Mm-hmm. I cannot remember what episodes. I had to like go through the <laughs> Wikipedia to see what episodes I wrote because I was like, did I write that one or was I just in the room for that? Mm. Uh, and I'd have to like look up and be like, what does it say on the credits? And then I'll like go through <laughs> and just write it down. I'm like, okay, okay, I did that episode. And it's just, you, you genuinely just forget because you're so busy with life and, you know, other jobs. Like you move on. And like some writers are on a show for like years. Like my friend Jeff Trammell was like known to be like the boss of mm-hmm. writing over at Craig of the Creek. He was there for years. Yeah. And doing freelance on the side while I was bouncing from like every show, like every three to six months, I was on a new show for the last few years. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So there's like some writers who are just like, yeah, I want the stability and then I'll do freelance if I want more credits. And then there's some writers that are just like, I will travel to every studio to work on every show possible. (laughs) And that's kind of the route that I've been on is just like going from show to show. And also like I work for Netflix. So there's been a lot of like streaming. If you work for a show like Craig of the Creek, it is network show. You will sit there and you will have multiple seasons. You'll probably keep going and the episode orders are much longer. So like say they want 26 to 40 episodes starting off for that show, you're good for like a year or two automatically. Mm -hmm. 
while if you're on like a Netflix or Apple, like a streaming service show, a lot of the time their episodes are like 10, like 10 episodes. And so yeah. that's like a couple of months for a writer because we are we are at the beginning. And once scripts are done, they're like, all right, bye. Mm-hmm. It's not like a Nickelodeon show or a, you know, episodic show where it's like you're coming up with new episodes and that's it. Like you're just coming up with new situations to throw these characters in. It's like we finished the story arc for this entire character's journey. We're done. We have nothing else left. And then we leave. And then all the artists come in and do their thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a weird vibe. It's just like <gasps> sometimes I'm just like, dang, I, I really <laughs> wish. Like I left dad and I was just like, I want to stay. <laughs> I know I'm not an artist, but I want to stay. Like, can I just like hide in the background and just like chill there? (laughs) But yeah, it kind of sucks because if you fall in love with the crew and like Mm. all the people in the show itself, you're just like, well, my few months are up. My six months are up. I got to leave. Bye. While I'm like very envious of people who are like, yeah, I've been on this show for three years. And I'm just like, what is it like to have... to have friends still <laughs> to be able to see your favorite crew members every single day i don't know oh, man. i'm just like looking into the distance just mournful just sad mm-hmm. yeah i never thought of it that way of like yeah the the writers and pre-production and stuff like that it's you don't get to stay with the production the whole time like yeah exactly yeah. like you're saying like us artists we're kind of there the whole time while it's being made in terms of like oh we get to see from beginning to end what it's gonna look like and like we stay on pretty much for that whole time Mm -hmm. if it's storyboards obviously until it's all boarded or whatever but yeah Mm -hmm. you get to like be in that world and be with those characters and like with your crew while it's developing yeah i miss going to pitch meetings like i miss Mm, it so much and some of the shows that I've worked on have been nice enough to be like, hey, we'll keep you on the calendar. So whenever we have one, we'll send you an email oh. and invite you still. So they've been like yeah. really nice. Oh, that's sweet. But that's some so shows, it's just like I left and now I know nothing about what's going on with it. Like I don't know what production <laughs> stage it's in. I know nothing. And then some shows have also been like, hey, we know you're gone from the show, but that one actor that you suggested for this role when we wrote it, we got them. Mm-hmm. Do you want to come and sit in on the record? And I'm like, yes. That's the best. That's yeah, so, cool. so like it depends on the show though. Like if the creators are going to be nice enough to remember you and care that you were excited about it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, some is just like, all right, well, thanks for writing. We'll see, see you later. later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's just like I'm just like I'm very envious of all the artists who get to like watch every episode, even if it's just the board pitches. I'm just like, oh, you get to see the animatics and everything, the art, like finished art. I don't get to see anything finished sometimes until it's out, out. So something that I kind of wanted to get into is uh, how did you like initially get your start in the animation industry? Because I know you had like your own little unique journey. Yeah, it's actually a really bizarre and unlikely story. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like it doesn't feel it feels like something out of like a really poorly made like indie film plot <laughs> for a writer. I was working, I think at a shoe store, I think I was working at Skechers in downtown Burbank, smelling people's feet for a living. And I was like, I'm hating this. Um, and my brother was like, Hey, I'm my brother makes comic books. And he was like, I'm going to Seattle comic con Emerald city comic con. I have a booth and I'm going to be selling my comics there. And I was like, 
that sounds cool. And he's like, I'll help you pay for it if you want to come and help out. And I was like, yeah, that's not without a question. I don't want to smell feet over the weekend. I will come to Emerald City Comic Con and help you. So <laughs> I went to Comic Con. Uh, I was very poor. <laughs> I could barely afford really anything. So I was just like, I'm not going to buy anything, but I'm going to walk around Artist Alley, take a break. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just walking around and I ran into this guy and I was like, wow, you're artwork is amazing like i used to love some of these cartoon network shows like he was drawing like ben 10 and generator x and stuff mm-hmm. and i was like yeah i used to love these characters i loved kevin 11 when i was a kid he was like the coolest to me he was like the inksy kid i love me and edgelord and he was just like oh yeah yeah you grew up with these i was like yeah i love them he's like uh, what do you do and i was like oh i'm a writer or at least i'm trying to be i'm trying to break in i'm from la mm-hmm. and it, we had this really long two-hour conversation, not just oh about God. me being a writer, wow. but just me in general, just hanging out. We were talking about like 80s movies because I'm like a really big film buff. I watched everything. And he was like, wow, that's nuts. I never really meet people your age who know about some of these movies. Like, you know about even the obscure ones. So I was like, yeah, I watched everything. And he's like, okay, cool. He's like, well, I'm going to start packing up. But if you get back to LA and if you are interested in a writing job, I might be able to give you some freelance. And I was like, oh man, we were having such a good conversation. You went and ruined it by being like probably a creepy serial killer dude. Like this is not cool. <laughs> and he hands me his card. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Uh-huh, whatever. And I'm like, I got to probably help my brother with his booth. Like, so goodbye. And I left and I went back to my brother and he's like, yeah, that was great. Right. And I was like, yeah, I guess. I was, yeah. I had a long conversation with the dude. I'm sure he's a serial killer or something. He's probably going to kill me when we get back to LA now. And he's like, well, he might be real. You should just check him out. He might actually be a producer and showrunner. And I was like, okay. So I look him up Mm -hmm. and he turns out to be the creator of, uh, one of the creators of Man of Action who created Ben 10, Generator Rex, and I Kill Giants, Big Hero 6. Yeah. I was like, oops. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's a Man of Action. (laughs) My bad. And then basically from there, I contacted him and then we sat down. I met at the studio and he was like, yeah, so we're looking for some writers to do some Ben 10 stuff. Would you be down for that? We're doing a comic. We're, we got the show going. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I would. Please. So we sat down and I basically wrote my first freelance episode and he like told me what the requirements were because it's made to sell toys, that show. Mm-hmm. So there was requirements from the toy company that was like, you can use these aliens, but you have to show these powers because we already made toys that show these powers. So it was just like, oh my God, what? <laughs> it was like already like my first job and then I had restrictions and then it had to take place in a certain location and they had like certain aspects of it that they wanted in there. So it was just like, okay, okay, yeah, we can do this. I can make this character do this thing at this location. Okay, cool. And then from there, I got nothing. So don't ever let people think you get the one freelance job and you're good. No, I got that one Mm -hmm. freelance job. I didn't have anything for another year. Mm. Oh, wow. I was setting meetings with people at like Kurt's Network because that's what I was comfortable with because I just got done working there. And I was having meetings and they were like, yeah, just nobody wants to take you. You're unseasoned, Mm -hmm. which means you're too green and you're too new and you don't have enough credits and nobody wants someone with no credits. But how do I get the credits if you don't give me a chance? (laughs) Exactly. I hate that. I hate that so much. It's like, hey, we need Mm. you to have the job to get the job that you don't want. And the job is here, but you can't have it because we don't like you. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it feels like. But um, yeah, so you're just sitting there just like, well, no one's going to take a 
chance on me. So I have to get another part-time job. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine from Skechers was like, hey, I just had a person quit at this law firm that I work for. Do you want a full-time job at a law firm? You'll be getting paid like $22 an hour. And I was like, I'm getting paid 11 right now. So hell yes. I started working at this law firm. And while I was at this law firm, I started writing a shit ton because I was a personal assistant to one of the lawyers who was never there. (laughs) And the law firm just so happened to be a floor below Cartoon Network. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So I was working in the Cartoon Network building coincidentally and just working at this law firm and just like writing stories. And eventually one of my friends was like, hey, my show said they were looking for writers. Can you come upstairs really quick and come and meet them? And I was like, yeah. And so I like <laughs> ran upstairs and it ended up being Craig of the Creek. And they were like, yeah, we're looking for a new young writers we want to bring in. And I was like, what? Um, so I was just like baffled. And I was just like, I, I, okay, yeah, sure. I, I write, I write stuff. And I sent them samples and they liked it. And then I started freelancing and working on Craig. I think like I freelanced for like the first year and then I ended up working as a DPA, uh, which is like a digital mm-hmm. production assistant and a writer on the show for oh. I think the first like three seasons. But wow. the first initial year when I was freelance, I was just running, like sneaking off, taking two hour bathroom breaks uh, at the <laughs> law firm and then going upstairs <laughs> to be in the writer's room for two hours or like, oh, hey, my dog. Uh, I didn't have a dog at the time. My dog, <laughs> I have to take him to the vet. Uh, I'll be an hour or two late. And I would go into the writer's room and be like, I'm just going to see this sneak for a couple of <laughs> Yeah, I would take like, I would like leave for lunch at the beginning of, beginning of lunch. I would go to the writing room and be like, hold on, I'm going to grab a cup of coffee. I'd run back downstairs, punch back in for lunch, grab my cup of coffee and go back to the writer's room for another hour. And then I would come back and I'd be like, where'd you go after lunch? And I'd be like, Oh, I had to use the bathroom. Something didn't go through me right for multiple days in a row. For months, actually. I had to go to the bathroom for an hour for months. And no one really ever caught on. No one knew. Wow. I mean, if if the lawyer you were working for was never there, (laughs) like... It was like, I would also ask because they would send out email like, hey, what days work for you? And I'd be like, what days are he, is he gone? I plan his schedule so I would know. (laughs) And I was just like super strategic about it. And the Craig people knew. I was just like, hey, listen, Mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm sneaking. Just want you to know that if I am ever being weird, it's because I need to go sneak. And they're like, yeah, okay, yeah, cool. (laughs) So I would just go back and forth for long periods of time. And then eventually they were like, hey, so we can't hire you full time. We don't have it in the budget, but if you're cool with it, we can hire you as a DPA and then we can also Mm. have you do freelance still. And I was like, yes, please. So I started working as a DPA, getting paid, I think like three or four more dollars, which was nice. And then still doing freelance. So I was like in charge of like conforming boards, which means like making sure like the animatic matches to like the new edits of the board and making sure all the dialogue and stuff is good for the editor to have. And also doing X sheets, which are basically like the sounds, the way that the character's mouth needs to make when they're making certain sounds. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so I would handle all the digital production assistant type stuff. And then after that, I went pitching. I had a friend who just got done pitching at like multiple studios. And I was like, mm-hmm 
give me those emails. And she did. And so I emailed all these executives <laughs> coldly and was like, hey, I have a pitch for you. And they were like, oh, you already work in the industry. So we trust you much more than we did before you were in the industry. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure you do. So I went <laughs> to all these pitch meetings while they didn't want my pitch because the idea involved a kid having a cell phone for a lot of the plot. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh, we don't want to promote kids on their cell phones all the time. But we really like this idea. Like if we didn't have to worry about stuff like that, we would buy this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they didn't buy the project. But then like a week later, one of the execs from Netflix was like, I can't stop thinking about your project. You're a really good writer. We don't want to buy it. But would you be interested in writing on a show that deals with technology and video games and stuff? And I was like, yeah. And so they hired me. She was like, yeah, it's freelance. I show up for the meeting, the showrunner and story editors there auditioning me basically. Mm. And they're like, no, no, it's full time. It's a full time staff job. We want you to be our writer. And I was like, what? Huh? And they're like, yeah, you think you'd be perfect. And so I was like, uh, okay. And then I started like, um, like two or three weeks later, I started working at Netflix full time as a writer. That's awesome. So it was a long and chaotic journey, but I got there. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's really funny. Yeah, when I was a intern at Cartoon Network, I met you there yeah. along with like yeah, uh, Deshaun and uh, all of the crew. But okay, for context, lots of studios like Nickelodeon and DreamWorks they have their own campus that they just own, and it's like a big building that they've built themselves that like it's only art and production. For whatever reason, Cartoon Network rents out a random office building in Burbank. <laughs> So yeah. other floors are like not Cartoon Network. Uh, and I think they're slowly trying to like buy more floors of the building. But yeah, were you just working in the building so you could be close to Cartoon Network? Because that would actually kind of be a smart thing. <laughs> It'd be Honestly, genius. It's, it's it kind crazy. of worked though, because like people saw me around so much because I worked in the yeah. building. They assumed I was already working at Cartoon Network. And I was like, I have worked for Cartoon Network and I work in the building and I would just not say anything. And they'd be like, yeah, so you work in animation. I'm like, yep, I do. I have. <laughs> Those are not individual lies. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I work yeah. in the building. You don't need to know where I just work in the building. And then, so they'd be like, good to know. And I'm like, yes, remember mm -hmm. me, hire me, please. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind That's of awesome. worked to my advantage. That's so great. Though I do not suggest people go around trying to get hired at that law firm. Yes. I did try it. I got a friend hired there. Like my, I was leaving mm -hmm. and my boss was like, let me guess you're going to Cartoon Network. And I was like, <gasps> so he did know. He did know. He's the only one. He somehow was never here and he knew. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to Cartoon Network. And he's like, well, I'm proud of you. Good luck. And then he hired like one of my close friends to replace me. Mm -hmm. And the first question that I guess the assistant who hired him asked was, you're not going to like run off to Cartoon Network, are you? <laughs> Maybe it's happened before. <laughs> <laughs> so something else I'm really interested in is that you don't have a formal education in writing per se, but was there anything that you did to kind of teach yourself or did writing always come naturally to you? It kind of came naturally. like um. Like Yuki said, my brother works in animation too. He was a storyboard mm -hmm. artist. Now he's a director. But we used to be obsessed with like, you know, Pokemon and Dragon Ball Z growing up. And mm -hmm. we would always draw the characters. We would move around a lot. Like every few months, we would end up moving to a new place because of financial instability. And we were 
bored. So we'd just go to the library and read manga and read books and, you know, copy the art that we were basically seeing in all of the manga. So we got really obsessed with anime too. Mm. And eventually I was like, he's so much better at drawing. This is intimidating. And I don't like drawing because I feel like it's the competition. Mm -hmm. So I stopped drawing. And then I was like, I really like writing though. And it doesn't feel competitive to Mm. write when he's writing his own story. Because we have such different, like we like the same things, but I was definitely more like angsty action drama. He was like, I just want to make like fart jokes and like people laugh. And I was like, okay, yeah, you do that. Cool. Like, like he, he's the Goku and I'm the Vegeta. And I'm, uh, but yeah. Nice. So eventually I was just like, I like writing. It doesn't feel competitive to do this with my brother. And I can also ask his opinion because I really like his writing still. And then from there, like, I think that was like third grade. Like we would just always be writing and drawing together. And I would like show him stories. And then as we got older, I don't know if these exist anymore, but we started doing like the uh, pixel comics. It's like you mm. would take like 8-bit or 16-bit characters from old video games and recolor them and redesign them to make them new characters. And you would make sprite comics with them in a mm. digital sprite oh. world. And then we started doing our own comics. And I was just like, you know, I think uh, like I think I want to make books. I think I like books better. And so I had it in my mind that I was going to write novels. And a teacher mm-hmm. came to me and was like, you could be a writer for anything. You know, it doesn't have to be books. And I was like, that's good because I read in the newspaper that books were dying. So then <laughs> I decided, <laughs> and this was like sixth grade, I decided after that teacher said that to me, I was like, cool, I'm going to write for TV. I'm going to write like the anime and like the shows that I like to watch. And then I just went from there, like writing my own stories and just getting stronger and better at writing And then when I became an adult, I started going to college. And then like, I think like my first year, I was like, (laughs) no one told me how expensive this shit was. Uh, And I panicked. Uh, Yeah. So I got into lots of debt my first year because I could not truly afford college. Even I went to the crappiest college. I went to the Art Institute. Oh, yeah. Uh, They not only rip you off, like they've had so many class actions, like people suing them. It's mm-hmm. amazing how any of them are still open. I'm waiting for mine to get sued so it closes down and I don't have to pay any of that money back. <laughs> yeah, so like I ended up having to leave and then I was like, well, my dreams are dead. And then um, I actually watched a video. I can't remember what director it was, but he was like, yeah, I didn't go to school. I just write my own movies and everything. Like He's like a big blockbuster director, writer. And he's like, I didn't go to school. Like, that's BS that anyone tells you that you have to. You don't have to. If you want to, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you think it'll help you, that's fine. But you don't have to. And I was like, oh. So then I started finding like books on screenwriting and online. You can find practice pitch Bibles. You can find scripts. There's a lot of scripts that are just online nowadays. So like I've been able to find like a quiet place scripts and um this, the original Scott Pilgrim script I found online. Like, if you just Google wow, yeah. a movie a lot of the time, especially if it's an older movie, a lot of the time you can find the script or at least the transcript for it. I study them and I just read mm-hmm. them like they were a book and I just study, break it down. Like, what made this scene really good? What made this mm-hmm. character's art follow through? How did they write this theme into their story? And then just reading mm-hmm. actual books too. And then also studying TV, not just watching TV, but actually studying it. Yeah. Got me really good at 
figuring out what I need to do to make at least a, a good enough story. Like it doesn't have to, like, I'm not going to be like, I'm the best writer now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I still feel like there's things that I can learn, but it definitely helped me in the long run, like learning what I was doing and even learn the format and how most scripts like to write their description certain ways and how to not put blocks of text in a paragraph or description or the very basic idea of show, not tell. Also, I people watch. I was just having this conversation the other day with someone where I was just like, I people watch a lot. Like I will go and mm-hmm. hang out with people and I'll just listen to conversations that are happening around me. Like I'm definitely a wallflower type. Mm-hmm. And I just like, no matter where I am, if it's like at a restaurant, if it's just like even like people outside of my friend group, I'll just listen to what other people are talking about and like mm-hmm. watch people because I feel like starting off, we all write what we know. And like mm-hmm. what we're comfortable with. And even our characters will make decisions that are very similar to the decisions that we would make or our friends because people we know would make. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was writing a lot of the same, same characters at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like people that I wouldn't want to be friends with, I was avoiding. I was like, oh, they're so annoying. I don't want to freaking write them. And then I was like, well, I'm missing out on a lot of different characters by doing that. So then I would like people watch and like hang out with people I wouldn't typically hang out with. And be like, okay, I think I know how to write a character like this if I ever need be. And then like I would work my way and mm-hmm. put them into more stories and kind of study them. Mm-hmm. So something I also kind of want to get into, because you talked about like, you know, being inspired by like, you know, Dragon Ball Z and cartoons growing up. And then, you know, being influenced or like, you know, learning from these scripts that you find. But like, how does like your cultural background also influence your writing if it does? I'm not really too sure. I kind of have this thing where a lot of my leads will always be primarily people that I grew up around. So like in Jersey, like there's a lot of black, a lot of Puerto Rican, Chinese and uh, Filipino. It's just a lot of diversity anyway, Mm -hmm. but it's a lot of people of color that I grew up around. So most of my characters will be that. One of my goals is to put a lot more people of color out there, especially black people, especially black females Mm -hmm. or non-binary people. But I think my biggest thing is I don't want any stories that's primarily about my culture or about my race. Mm -hmm. And so I focus on it being stories that I've never seen before with those leads. I feel like besides for maybe like, like phrases and slang that I know my family will use, like Mm -hmm. a lot of the time there's a lot of conversational stuff that I'll put in from my culture or like phrases like you know there's a lot that are now very much all over the web and everyone uses them so it doesn't feel like a nice little secret Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there's some things that I've been able to work in the scripts like everyone in my family if you are a kid who played outside they'll say you smell like outside (laughs) and I've said this to my partner before where we like come inside and I'm like oh you smell like outside and she's like thank you and I'm like no that's not that's not a compliment. It basically means you, you smell like the wilderness and you need a bath. Like, that's what that means. You need a bath. Um, you smell like you rolled around in some dirt and mud and some grass all day and you need to take a bath. Or, like, not all skin folk is kin folk. Mm-hmm. Phrases like that. Or it's like people probably heard it, but it's like I don't really hear it in media. So I'll try to put a lot of that in. Or like dynamics, familial dynamics within the culture. I don't really get to see that often. Mm-hmm. Like the way siblings are written, I feel like siblings in different communities and culturally are completely different. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So it's just like figuring out, like I'm the second oldest of six. So I love writing about siblings oh or like <laughs> oh, big wow. family dynamics. Yeah. Right. But like, it's completely different within each race. Like the way that like some of my Hispanic friends, grandmothers and grandparents talk to them is completely different than the way mine talk to me. So on that note, you've written for a couple of projects with Black Leads, like Craig of the Creek and My Dad, the Bounty Hunter. What did that mean to you, like, as a Black person? And you were saying, you know, incorporating those things of your culture. It's interesting, because what Craig of the Creek, I don't think I really, it really kicked in. It was just like, oh, cool, Black lead, that's awesome. Something I don't really see. What, we had Proud Family and Fillmore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't think there are any other, like, lead Black characters where you get to see, like, the family dynamics from, like, mm-hmm. the Black perspective. And I just generally thought it was cool. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then there was characters in that show that I really think changed a lot. Like I know people love Sparkle Cadet, mm-hmm. which gets me excited. I'm like, oh, cool. Everyone's really like way more than I thought was going to blow up was a black magical girl. That was really cool. Yeah, I love Sparkle Cadet. Mm-hmm. I did not know that episode was going to be like, it's like everyone's just like constantly talking about Sparkle Cadet and posting art. Like when the episode came out and everyone went wild over it, I was like, what? And it's really cool because, like, if you go back and rewatch that episode, that one was is almost directly pulled from my life. Like, the creators were like, we oh. want your life story. Mm-hmm. So Sparkle Cadet's story is that she moved around a lot and she wanted to recreate herself at a new school. And she did it through art, which is something that I did with my brother a lot, where we started a new school and we would be drawing or writing a story. And it would make kids be like, oh, what are you doing? Like, I want to see. Like, oh, can you draw me this? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was like our way of making friends and like feeling comfortable with ourselves. Like that's something we knew that we were the artsy writing kids. Mm-hmm. And her original name, like her real name, not Sparkle Cadet, was originally supposed to be Kira based off of me. <laughs> that's funny. Aww. That's so cool. Kira Kira is, is also Sparkle in Japanese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. Um, I think Angel, who's one of the board artists who helped write and board mm-hmm. the episode, yeah. actually I think said that, which is why I think it happened. They were the biggest, like, I want a magical girl episode. So then when we finally yeah. did that one, it was super, like, like they were, like, doing designs and they were so excited. And I was like, yes, let's do it. But, yeah, yeah, I didn't know it was going to take off that way. And I think I just didn't think about the impact of having a black magical girl in the world. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, yeah, I guess we've never really had one. So this is, like, a really big monumental thing for young girls and also adult girls who like magical girls that's awesome Mm -hmm. but uh i I didn't think about it at the time i was just like yeah it's cool Mm. and then when i got the dad the bounty hunter it is i will say while i love craig and i love all the great things that it's done and like all Mm -hmm. the amazing people who worked on it dad i think felt different because a lot of the leadership like the directors the creator were black so it was things that Mm. it wasn't just like us coming together with white creators like it didn't feel so much educating Mm -hmm. where it was like oh hey like we can't do an episode like this because this is a black stereotype not like that happened a lot or anything it was just like i feel like i have to like be more aware of my blackness and like Mm. basically make sure that this feels very black versus like starting on dad starting off with the black showrunner and a black director and a black story editor it was already there. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like the black person that had to come in and make it blacker or make mm. sure that mm. we were doing representation correctly because the creator and the people in power were not black. 
So it was like a different vibe altogether. Like I come into the room, it's like, okay, cool. We know how to adapt each other up. We're like, cool. And, you know, we, we don't have to have this conversation. <laughs> if we say that there's just like a certain family dynamic, like we're talking about our like very strong black moms and we don't want the mom to be light skin. We don't have to explain, hey, we don't want the mom to be light skin because it's a stereotype amongst all black media because they're made by white people that the mom has to be light skin to be more like appealing. appealing to white yeah. audiences. Mm-hmm. And the dads can get to be dark skin because it's like the tall, dark and sexy mindset. And then also the fact that it's like the dark skin men, they don't need to be attractive because it's, it's like a weird thing of like, yeah. Light-skinned black women are only attractive, or biracial black women are only attractive. Yeah, because they're not as black. They're not as black. They're more yeah, appealing. I've seen, and we don't that really before, yeah. need to care about the men. Um, they can be dark-skinned. They're just supposed to be funny and there for comedic purposes. Like I didn't have to speak that. I just like, oh, uh, what are we thinking? Like for mom's design. So when I write the script, and they're like, no, mom's dark. Mom's dark-skinned. She's brown. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get a brown actor to voice this character and it was just like a nice change it was just like oh i don't have to like voice why something doesn't work because of their blackness of like this wasn't a craig of the creek thing this is just like things i see on tv like maybe like a white parent might do it this way but a black parent like they're not gonna Mm -hmm. be this like most black parents kind of grew up this way and this is their mentality and this is their mindset or like the way churches go it's different like just different mm-hmm. cultural aspects like that not having to explain it and then also you know you get notes on some stuff and then you have an entire fleet of other black people or people of color to be like we're doing it this way because it's a cultural thing mm-hmm. we had a similar thing when we were talking with crystal babich working on maya and the three and she was saying mm-hmm. the same thing where like that whole crew was latinx and like everybody who was brown in the room understood it yeah and all the white people were like i don't get it but it didn't matter because they were like no 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 don't worry it works because like yeah we have the cultural context so yeah it's gonna land yeah you don't have to constantly be fighting back so and it's great that it it rings true for uh dad the bounty hunter and all of those shows yeah it, it's it's really great like when you don't mm-hmm. think about it until you're in that space and then i'm just like mm-hmm. i didn't feel like i had to i also you know not being the only black writer mm-hmm. not like craig because you know jeff and there's other black writers on yeah. craig the board artist but mm-hmm. when some of the other shows i've worked on with black leads outside of craig have mm-hmm. all white showrunners all white writers story editors white and they're looking to me to be like hey, black person, um, could you tell us about how to make this character more black? They're like, mm-hmm. do they play basketball? And, and do they do they know how to swim? Can this character swim? Oh my and God. it's just like, what? oh. That's... And the, the graphic oh. artist, you sign up for these contracts. So it's not like yeah. you can be like, okay, I quit. Like, this is a problem, I quit. Like, you, you have to keep working on it and finish up. Go back to my friends. and That was the worst thing I've ever worked on. Never again will I work for that person. Mm-hmm. No, it's fine. It's just, it was also a thing that I was super nervous about. I was like, am I only ever going to get hired on black project? And then mm-hmm. I was like, you know, I, I got hired on different things that weren't that, which made me really happy. And I was like, oh, thank mm-hmm. God. But it was also just working on a thing that was a black project created by a black person was a great feeling like i wasn't second guessing myself as much Mm -hmm. i felt like even like media like there's a lot of the time where i'll be in a writer's room with mostly white people with a black character Mm -hmm. and i'll be like oh yeah it's like that scene in like 
Dolomiter. It's like that scene in Sister, Sister. It's like that scene mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, I don't know, like whatever black piece of media that I'm referring to. And all the white people will not know. And it's nice to not have to look up a clip of what this person's from or like have them do a whole IMDb check to figure mm-hmm. out what black person or black piece of media that I'm talking about. Well, we have to wrap up, unfortunately. But before we get into our final question, where can our audience find you? And is there anything else you want to promote? Yes, you can find me on basically every piece of social media. Mostly I'm on Twitter at Shakira Presley. And it's not out yet, but I am working on a short pilot that I'm going to be putting out sometime in the future. So be on the lookout for that. I'm just going to put it out there. It's going to be like a nice little teaser soon. And I might throw up artwork every once in a while to show the way the production's going. Uh, so cool. Yeah, looking forward to it. And as we come to a close, do you have any final advice for those that want to pursue a career in this industry? I know that some of them aren't that good or they're problematic, but check out older movies. They do help you. It's really good to know the origins of where certain media comes from that you enjoy. There's a lot of tropes that are in movies now that you don't think about where they originally came from, but it does help to go back and watch that older stuff because then you can subvert the ideas of those tropes and do the same thing with scripts. Go back and read some scripts and learn how you can make them unique, you know, do some writing prompts as well. Those are also very good things that you never thought that you'd write about. A writer prompt will take you there. Perfect advice. Great way to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us today, Kira. If you enjoyed our interview with Shakira today, please rate and follow us on Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at StraightAheadAP. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest, Was a Bright Future, straight ahead until next week have a wonderful day bye everyone bye bye